we say amen to the greater things. You may be seated in the house of God. Slap your neighbor high five and say, get ready, get ready, get ready. Come on, greater things are coming. You're never going to be the same again once greater things start coming into your life. Amen? Greater things. You've got to believe it. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. And I add on to that, you receive not because you wait not. Somebody needs to tweet that. You have not because you ask not. God will not bless you unless you ask him to bless you. And then the Bible teaches us patience and waiting. And so unless you wait for it, you're going to miss it. So you have not because you ask not, you receive not because you wait not. How many are believing for greater things? How many have the audacious kind of faith to say, God, I believe God, I believe you can do great things. See, I'm standing on this stage today and I'm believing we can fill stadiums, amen? But it started with us going to Bodequa Fest. Put that picture up again, please, sir. It started with my wife and I going to Bodequa Fest over uh, a decade ago just with two of us. And now there was over 160 of us out there. See, that's greater things. Are you guys listening to me? How many want to see your bank account go from 2,000 to 160,000? Come on, do you want to see that kind of increase? If you say, well, Pastor, I'm already in the millions. Okay, do you want to see your bank account go from 2 million to 160 million? Oh, y'all get quiet? Y'all don't want it? Give it to your neighbor if you don't want it. Amen. Just make it and give it away then. We went from 2 to 160. Put on that any equation, uh, put in that equation any value. Two people to 160 people. 2,000 to 160,000. You all track with me. 2 million to 160 million. Two locations to 160 locations. Where is Juan at? Come on up here and get a blessing. I want to pray for him right now because he shut down his business on Saturday to be out here to preach and to take pictures. And I want to pray a blessing on him. Run up here, sir. And get another location. Come on, give it up for Juan. Come up here. Stand right here. Yolanda, you stand right here next to him. Face me, hands up. Get some oil back there. I see some of y'all working for people and you don't even have the audacious uh, faith to even ask them for a day off. These guys own their own business. Saturday is the biggest day of business for them and they shut down the whole thing. Are you listening to me? In the name of Jesus, I pray for multiple locations. I pray for franchises. I pray for multi-million dollar ideas to come all over you. In the name of Jesus, I speak against any hindrance that would come against you, any attack that would come against you. I pray for favor from Yelp. I pray from, for favor for every news outlet, every radio station, every magazine, every blogger. In the name of Jesus, Nini's Deli, uh, Chicago Native Fashion, all that you put your hands to do and all that God has in your heart that hasn't even come out to do yet. Be blessed, prosperous in the name of Jesus. Greater things are yet to come. Hallelujah. Woo! If you believe it for him, somebody shout hallelujah. Woo! Come on. Go from one location to a hundred locations. Come on. Somebody's got to be the next Ronald McDonald. Somebody's got to be the next Steve Jobs. If you want to be the next great janitor, that's great. Go and be that. But somebody's got to own the business you're cleaning. Amen. So I want to make sure that you're the best. I want to make sure you're the greatest. I want to make sure that when you close your eyes and you ask God for things, you're asking God for greater things. Greater things. I want to be able to take a picture. I, I, I want it to get beyond where we can even take a picture with the camera. It's got to only be from a drone. Are you listening to me? Flying over Humble Park. That's how many we got out here, about 3,000. Uh, can you see them down there, Bob? Yeah, we're in the helicopter. We can see them down there. 
See, don't let the pastor be the only one dreaming great things. I give you permission because the Bible gives you permission to dream great things on your job, to dream great things in your family. The Bible said be fruitful and multiply. How many fathers are happy to be fathers today? Dream great things for your children, praise God. Amen. That's the preaching before the preaching. You all ready for the second word? Amen. Here it is. Whoever has ears, let them hear. We are in a Matthew sermon series. Thank you for joining with us. If you're a guest or have never been with us, we're going verse by verse through the book of Matthew this year. Started in January, and uh, we'll see how long it takes us because we're being patient because we got to get each nuggy out of this. Every golden nugget is worth our time. So today, what we're going to do in Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 1, we're going to look at Jesus start to shift into the parabolic teaching. He is going to start teaching in parables now. So those of you who have been around since January, if you think about it, Jesus has never hit on a parable yet. There's been metaphors. There's been analogies. He says the kingdom of God is like this, or I'll give you the sign like this, the sign of Jonah, etc. But he's never told his stories yet. Now in chapter 13, Jesus starts storytelling. But what you're going to notice, as today's title gives you the, um, the scripture from it, it says, is, what you're going to notice is that people have ears, but they're not hearing. They have eyes, but they're not seeing. And you're going to now figure out why that is, the way it is, and how from 13 all the way into 24 and 25, they're going to want to kill him. And the problem isn't that they're not given the chance to understand him. The problem is they don't want to understand him. You see, a lot of times people plug their ears to God and say, I don't understand. I don't hear. They, pl- they close their eyes and they say, well, I don't see God. I don't see- Show me God. Show me God. Tell me about God and prove it to me. And that's what you're going to find out from this very first parable. Jesus is going to explain to us why people have eyes, but they don't see, ears, but they don't hear. And he's going to tell you why he's talking to them in parables. Are you ready to learn all of that? So whoever has ears, let them hear. That's today's message. So do you all got ears? Amen. You want to hear? Amen. Let's go. Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. How many like sitting by the lake, by the way? Anybody like doing that? Amen. I love the lake. I really do. I just wish it wouldn't freeze over in the middle of winter. I wish it would stay nice all year round. But I love the lake. I think it's beautiful. I used to ride my bike out there all the time. Jesus loved to go to these places. He would go to beautiful mountain places. Jesus would go to the lake. So let me just tell you this right now. You're never too busy to take time to sit down by a lake and appreciate what God has done. Amen. Such large, such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it. So, so much for him just being by himself by the lake. Well, all the people stood on the shore. So there were so many people crowding around him that he said, okay, guys, man, I can't even talk to them all. Let me get in the boat. Push me out a little bit. That way I can see them all on the shore. So we know here that Jesus has strategies to uh, get his job done and accomplish it in a good way. Everything you do in your life needs to come with wisdom, and you will gain success by that wisdom. So you see, he used wisdom out there. He didn't say, let me crowd surf. He didn't say, let's build a stage. He said, the best thing in this moment is put me in a boat, push me out. What is the best thing for you to beat traffic tomorrow so you got more time to spend with your family? Ask God for wisdom. What's the best way that you can cut back on prices for your bills? Do you need to cut off your cable and just go to the Hulu app or something? That's what my wife and I did. We save $100 now on cable. No offense to Comcast cable people here, but I was having all these channels that we weren't watching, so I went down to just doing everything from my little Apple TV box. You see, God gives you wisdom. Look at your neighbor and say, you need wisdom. 
Amen. Don't let these things pass you up. Jesus is teaching you how to do something here. That was what he needed to do to make this happen. You need to find out what needs to happen in your life and ask him for wisdom. Now look at verse 3. Then he told them many things in parables. Here they go. Storytelling time. Here it comes. This is Jesus going to teach via parables. Now a parable is a story that comes with a lesson. A parable today could be like a movie or a skit or a show, and those things teach lessons. What lesson do you think Desperate Housewives of that show was teaching? What lesson do you think that's teaching? It has a lesson. Y'all got it? I mean, you get in the title, you should. What do you think the lesson of the Desperate Housewives parable is? We call it a TV show, but it's really a parable, right? It's a make-believe story that's getting across the lesson. What's the lesson? Be desperate. Cheat on your husband. Don't be satisfied at home. Okay? Reality TV is somewhat of a parable because it ain't all real, right? So what's keeping up with the Kardashians teaching? Teaching you how to keep up with them. Make people your idols, right? Uh, These kinds of things that we watch and that we listen to, we've got to be careful that we don't imitate that more than we imitate this. Now, if I told you some of the things that I watch... Uh, on TV, I might get a little embarrassed because I have watched Keeping Up with the Kardashians, you know, at times. And I have watched, uh, I didn't watch De- Desperate Housewives, praise God. Uh, but, you know, there's things in, in TV that will catch my attention and I'll watch it for a little bit. But you've got to make sure that you're not, you're not following what they're doing. Oftentimes, I look at Keeping Up with the Kardashians and I say, I wish I could pastor them. I know that sounds so holy, but honestly, I, I, I love watching crazy people to see how I can help them. And I love sometimes watching people do other things in life. You know, I, I, I leave out the perversion, leave out the greed. I like watching people travel. Right now, Will Smith has a, has a thing on Facebook. It's his bucket list. Anybody know about Will Smith's bucket list? It's fun to watch him. He's going skydiving. He's done all these things. So once again... What you watch is important. What you hear is important. What you're taking in as information is important. Jesus is going to teach us his information by stories. And I don't think we ever get too old for stories. And if there's any dude here that says, oh, man, I'm too old for story time. Why does Jesus do that? Okay, so you didn't see Endgame then? You didn't see it? All these dudes here, you didn't watch Star Wars? You didn't do that yet? Come on. Most men understand you still like stories. Now, if you're so cool, you say you don't like stories, you don't watch video games, then humble yourself and listen to Jesus tell you a story, okay? But for many of us, we can relate to being adults and still liking stories. The Bible says he told them many things in parables. Now, watch how he starts here in verse 3. He says, a farmer went out to sow his seed. Stop right there. How many farmers do you guys know? Raise up the number with your hand. With fingers, how many farmers do you know? Okay, so he knows one. You know one. I got zeros coming up. You know about five? Oh, you know a lot of farmers. Let's get up for this old couple right here. No, I'm just kidding. I'm teasing. How many farmers do you know? Amen. Let's give it up for this wonderful couple that knows farmers. But sad to say, a lot of old timers used to farm, but now we don't farm anymore, right? My grandparents farmed, so I don't know any farmers now, except maybe some kids I went to school with that may be farming that I, didn't, I don't know about, but, you know. I, I haven't seen uh, a farmer come to this church in a long time. Is anybody here a farmer? Does anybody drive already all the way from your farm to this church? Okay, we have no farmers in this place. How many of you have planted something, though? Have you planted a garden? Raise your hand if you planted a garden. Okay, so you can understand this. Now, 
Even if you've never planted a garden, how many know the foods you eat that looks like colorful stuff, like fruits and vegetables, how many know that came from a garden, a, a farm? Okay, you guys get that, right? Okay, that doesn't, Aldi doesn't make that. Aldi can sell that, but Aldi doesn't make that. How many know the enlote didn't come like that from God's green earth? Somebody had to get that. Somebody had to make that, right? Okay. So we can relate here a little bit, but who is he talking to here? He's talking to predominantly agricultural people. So the moment he starts talking about a farmer, they're thinking about dad. They're thinking about uncle. They're thinking about cousin. They're thinking about what they just did yesterday. When I used to drive by the farms and I would smell manure, my dad would tell me, because we grew up right on the, the suburbs, it was right there by the farmland in Fort Wayne, Indiana. My dad says, what you smell as manure, they smell money. Because that means they're planting stuff. That means they're getting ready to do some big things out there. So you think of something being stinky. They're thinking of something being good, okay? And so the moment they started hearing about farmer talk, they checked right in. They were like, boom, I'm ready to go. Now, for us, it would be like, you know, a person went to their job. That's how it would just be for us, you know. So Jesus is not purposely trying to keep it rural. He loves the city life. Trust me, Jesus loves Chicago. Jesus loves us here. Paul was a city guy. A lot of Paul's letters are written to huge cities of that time, okay. So if you just want to understand this, it would just be like, this dude went to work, and he's going to go do his job. Now, the farmer has a particular kind of job. A farmer went out to sow seed. What is he going to sow? Seed. Another word for sow is plant. He's going to go out and plant. Seed. Now, I'm just going to read the entire thing, and then we'll go through the explanation, because Jesus actually gives us the explanation. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good ground, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Now look at verse 9. Let's read it together. One, two, three. Whoever has ears, let them here. Boom. Now, if you had not read this before or heard it preached before and you are just these guys hearing it for the first time, do you know what that means spiritually? I don't think anybody would get it. It's not even a riddle. There's not even like a hint to what this is talking about. It is hidden. Listen, it is hidden, the meaning. You would not know how to decipher this parable unless somebody told you, what is he talking about? Because you could make this into anything. You could make the seed into anything. If you want to now use that seed as a metaphor for something, you could make it for whatever in the world you could possibly think of. You could say, well, a man is, is sowing seed. That's like him giving out love. And some people, they, they don't receive love. And other people, they got weeds in their hearts so they can't get the love. And, and some people, you know, they have a lot of love so it multiplies. You would think he was talking about love. I mean, if he doesn't explain it, prove it wrong. Prove it he's not talking about love. You couldn't. You would have no way to go in there to say uh, he's not talking about love. You would have no way to know if he's talking about money. He might be talking about you giving him money. 
You know, when you give your money to these other jokers, these guys are like hard-hearted people. They ain't going to do nothing for you. And then you give your money over here. It, these crafty people, man, they got a little bit of ground to put, put your seed into. They're not going to do nothing for you. They're going to leave you when things go bad. And then some people got weeds in their life. You don't want to give them money. But give me your money, and then I'm going to give you back 160, 30 times. See, is he talking about money? You have no idea. You wouldn't know if he's talking about money. You wouldn't know if he's talking about love. You wouldn't know if he's talking about something crazy. Maybe he's using this as a way to sow sedition. Maybe he's thinking if you plant one rebellious person in a culture, it's really not going to work. But you got to plant a whole bunch of rebellious people, 30, 60, 100 fold, to create a revolution. Prove it wrong. He ain't talking about revolution. You don't know. You don't know if he's talking about a revolution. You don't know if he's talking about just throwing out love everywhere like the gay pride, LGB pride month. You don't know if he's just talking about that. You don't know if he's talking about giving him money. And see, listen to what he says in that verse 9. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Now imagine you're there. You came to the lake. Jesus just told you that. And he ends with that. What do you do? Because now it's up to you whether or not you want to understand what he's saying. Let's keep going. Because now look at verse 10. Get it. The disciples came up to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? It's like, okay, y'all can go now. Goodbye. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Goodbye. We're leaving. Okay, get me off this boat. I'm going home. And, and disciples come up to him and are like, Jesus, hold on, man. You, you didn't explain anything to us. <laughs> You just told us a story. Uh, you told us if we, if we got ears, let's listen. And now the crowd's going home, and everybody's wondering, what in the world are you talking about? That's what they're asking him. Now watch this. Look at verse 11. It gets very key right here. He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets. Somebody say the secrets. Thank you. Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you but not to them. Ooh, come on, somebody. What is the difference between those disciples and the them that don't get the secrets? Why do the disciples get the secrets, but those folks over there don't get it? Let's keep going. Verse 12. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Jesus is going to take some stuff from them. This is why I speak to them in parables, and now he speaks a harsh judgment from Jeremiah, a very stern rebuke that God had given his people during this time of their rebellion. He says, though seeing, they don't see. Though hearing, they do not understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. He gives them a right, and then he gives them a left. He says, you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving for this people's heart has become, come on, scroll it up for me, sir. Help me, the preacher. This, these people's hearts have become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They have their eyes closed. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Woo, snap. You think Jesus... Is that contestant on American Isle begging you for a vote? Do you think Jesus is the one begging you to come to heaven? No, 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 no. 
he literally walked around and said, let me tell you a story that you will have no idea what I'm talking about and then walk away from you and then I'm going to watch what you do. That's literally what he just did. I'm going to tell you a story and you're going to wonder what in the world was I talking about. And then I'm going to start walking. And I'm going to see who wants to understand. You see, the disciples were not covering their eyes, plugging their ears, and trying to force God to do it their way. They were humbly coming up to him saying, we want to understand. Now, if you notice, scroll back up there a little bit. He says, what you have, if you use it, you'll be given more. Look at verse 12. Whoever has will be given more, and they're going to have an abundance. So that means you got the parable, but now if you follow up on it and ask what it means, you're going to get more. But those who have stuff but don't do anything with it, even what they have will be taken from them. So that means you heard the parable, but you don't follow up on it. Eventually, you're just going to forget about whatever that guy was talking about, and this is going to become a memory, and then you'll forget that memory, whatever, and your life will just go on. I wonder how many people were brought up in church and now even what they had was taken from them and they're walking around in a godless mindset because they don't have room up here for God. They don't have room up here. And even the little bit that they had has been taken. Now, I believe God's word can remain in them until they die. God can be faithful to them. But he's putting some judgment out here that he's going to let them learn some lessons the hard way. There's some people that should be in this church right now, but they're not, and they're learning lessons the hard way, and they're scratching their head going, oh, I just want to figure it out. Why am I in this situation? And God's shouting, going, because you stopped listening to me. You stopped taking what I gave you, and now they don't even know why they are a mess. You see, they have ears, but they're not hearing. They have eyes, but they're not seeing and these two powerful words from the prophets are used by Jesus to say, guys, don't you become like this. Why do you speak to them in parables? Because God wants the hungry to understand what he says. And if you're not hungry for it, you're not going to get it. You see, there's something you have to do in this. God is not your Steve Jobs and you're not his iPhone. He's not programming you to love him. Are you guys understanding that? God is not coming to your heart. Beep, boop, beep, boop. Now tell me you love me. Beep, boop, beep, boop. Now come to church. Beep, boop, beep, boop. Marry that person. Beep, boop, beep, boop. You know, no, 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 no. I don't ever see anybody here on a Sunday getting drug up to the altar and then their hands going to their wallet and then it's the, the, and the money coming out. You know, God's like doing, I'm like Pinocchio, like, whoa, stop this. Why am I giving this? No, 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 no. This is your choice. This is my choice. He created us with a choice. What do you want to see with these eyes? What do you want to hear with your ears? Because if all you're hearing with these ears is Cardi B and all you're watching is the Cubs, you're missing the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God psh, going right over your head. That's why you could be around Jesus and have no idea what he was talking about. You know what he's talking about? I have no idea he's talking about. He's taught us the story about a farmer. I don't know what that means. And then other people are going, oh, my goodness, this is the deepest stuff I've ever heard in my life. 
And you can be in church sitting next to somebody, even a spouse sometimes. They could say, honey, I don't even know why we go to this church. I don't get anything out of it. I can't wait to go home. And then the other spouse can be like, oh, my goodness, that changed my life. I'm never going to look at things again the same. I'm believing God for greater things. This is amazing. He's explaining to you how it's always going to work in the kingdom. He's giving you kingdom principles. As a matter of fact, go to the book of Mark. How many believe the Bible is a surround sound? Amen. Let's hear what the front right speaker has to say. Amen. Four gospels. You got front right, front front left, front right, back left, back right. Amen. Then you got a little sub. Anybody got surround sound? Come on, somebody. Let's go hear what Brother Mark said. I heard one preacher call him Marky Mark. No, he's not Marky Mark. He's Brother Mark. Amen. Let me call him Marky Mark. Okay. Go to Mark chapter 4, verse 13. Same story. Mark adds one detail that Matthew doesn't have. And remember, they don't contradict, they just confirm. Every gospel writer is not going to say the same thing exactly the same way. It's not a Xerox copy of Jesus' life. God is using them to express different truths at those moments. But look at what it says in verse 13. Jesus, around the same mindset, he's going to interpret the parable, which we're going to get to. But look at what he says. Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? So the parable of the dude sowing seed, the farmer sowing seed, is actually the key that unlocks the mindset to understanding every single parable Jesus is ever going to tell you. This is the key. If you don't get the farmer and the seeds right, you will not understand any parable moving forward. You might say, well, I understand the parable about Good Samaritan. I don't get this. No, you really don't. If all you think the Good Samaritan is, just, is about is just being nice, you don't understand it fully. You say, I understand the parable of the prodigal son, and, and you know, I'm supposed to come back home to the father. If you don't understand this, you don't understand the fullness of it. You are missing a foundational piece because those stories are not just supposed to be stories. They're literally supposed to be seeds in your heart that grow and produce fruit and action based on God's power on the inside of you. Because there's a lot of people who think they know about the Good Samaritan, but it hasn't transformed their life and produced any fruit. The principle is going to be told to us that parables are like seeds, all of them, and then they're planted in our heart. It's up to us how we treat those seeds, and if we do it right, we grow, and they grow within us, and they transform and change our lives, and they produce 160, 30-fold works, good deeds, blessings in our life. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. Go back to it. Go back to it. Come on, Matthew. Chapter 13, are you learning something today? Amen. Matthew chapter 13. Now look at verse 16. But blessed are your eyes because they see, talking to his disciples, because they're coming after him to learn stuff, and your ears because they hear. And remember, there wasn't just 12. There was also, because that's just 12 dudes, but we know there's women following him, and we know there's a bunch of other people around him that are disciples. Okay, so don't just think there's only 12. Jesus probably at this time has about 100 to 200 disciples around him, men and women. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. Verse 17, for truly I tell you many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see but did not see it and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. So the prophets of old were like, man, I wish God would come down and explain stuff to us. 
I mean, Ezekiel was getting crazy stuff to do. I'm sure he was like, man, God, I wish you would come down and explain this to me. God told Ezekiel basically to go streaking in Israel. Have you ever read your Bible before? Come on. Didn't he tell Ezekiel to go streaking? That was Isaiah. Help me out. Maybe you all look at me because I was wrong. It was Isaiah. But now did you know he told Isaiah to go streaking? Did you know that he told Isaiah to cook food over his own dung? To go to the bathroom and then use it as fuel? And Isaiah's like, dear Lord, can I please just use animal dung? God negotiated with him. You see, these prophets were only prophesying in part, and there was a lot of mystery in what they were doing. And yet God was asking them to trust them. Trust me, trust me. There's a reason for this. And then he would explain it to them in part. You know, going naked means you're going into captivity with nothing, basically. Cooking over dung means things are going to get hard, so I want you to show the people this. So they were kind of living out their own parables. But they couldn't see the entire picture. And so they longed to really sit down with Jesus. They wanted to sit down with the one giving them the message and go, can you explain it a little bit more than this? Like, I'm willing to do it. God even told one prophet to sleep on his one side the entire time. And then another time, like for years, they had to sleep on one side. You know, another time he had to cut off all of his hair. I mean, all this stuff. And, and they would do it because they would give a, you know, get a little explanation. I mean, literally it says, sleep on your side because of this, this, and this for three years. And they did it just based on that. Just based on that, God said come to church and he's giving you a whole entire Bible to figure it out and still people can't come to church one day a week. Are you listening? These guys were trusting the Lord in some serious ways. And Jesus says they longed to be where you are now, to sit with me. You can ask me any question you want. You can ask me to re-explain it, to back it up, to, to say it in different ways. That was the privilege that this generation had. And yet there were so many people that were walking away from him. He said, but you guys are getting it. How many want to be a disciple like that? Hang around Jesus and get it. And that's why we got to read their words. See, who is Matthew? Matthew is a what? He's a what? A disciple. See, now we're reading what Matthew got. That's why we're trusting him because Matthew got to hang out with him. Matthew got to understand him. And now we're trusting what these men wrote down. Now listen to what the parable of the sower means. See, those other folks who just came because Jesus was giving out free pizzas, you know, they were getting a free, you know, uh, you know, lunch, whatever. Those guys left after the story, had no idea what he was talking about. But these disciples now get to hear the explanation. So was he talking about love? Was he talking about giving money? Was he talking about a revolution? No, look at what he says it means. I'm going to tell you what the parable of the sower means. Verse 19. He says, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. So what is the seed according to Jesus? The message of what? The message of the kingdom. So the message of the kingdom is what we're supposed to be listening to daily, reading the scriptures. We're supposed to be putting it into our heart. And he says, the message of the kingdom is coming out like a farmer sowing seed. And that first heart you heard about that was hard like concrete, that the seed just kind of bounced right off the ground, and then the birds came and swooped it up and ate that seed. He says, these are those who hear the message about the kingdom and do not understand it. The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. So now he introduces the devil into this story, doesn't he? See, we didn't know there was a devil in here. 
We didn't have that picture before. I mean, if you read the Bible, you understood. But I'm just saying, let's be honest. If you're just hearing the story, you would have no idea what the birds represent. And now Jesus goes, the birds are the enemy. Because the enemy doesn't want you to have the word. The enemy does not want you to live by the word of God. The enemy wants you to be so consumed with this world that you don't have time for God's word. He'll take it from you. He'll distract you from it. And notice that it all pivots around you understanding it. And have you thought about what understanding actually is? To understand something. What does that really mean? What it means is to take time and to learn it. Do you know that all of us here, with the help of animated videos and maybe Bill Nye, the science guy, we could learn rocket science. How many know that? We could learn it. We could go on a YouTube uh, channel right now, teach us about string theory. You know, type it in. All of a sudden, you know, they'll start teaching us about particle physics, a little three-minute video, little dancing strings going around and all of these things. How many know we could type in, uh, I want to learn about rocket science. How many know a little cartoon video would come up? How many watch those? Am I the only one? When it says children's explanation, I'm like, that's me. I am so serious. I feel like Michael Scott from The Office, if anybody remembers that, that one time, he's like, explain it to me like you would a fifth grader, you know? And then after he still didn't get it, how about a five-year-old? Explain it to me like a five-year-old. Sometimes I feel like I'm that way. I feel like, just explain it to me like you would explain it to my daughter. Just, you know, explain it like that. Because I, I don't get what you're saying because that's so far from me. Like if somebody here is an engineer, like I know Calvin and all of them, like literally it would be like draw out the pictures, make the noises of the gears. Like, like I need the cartoon to understand what you guys do to make the world go round. See, understanding is not based on your IQ. It's really not. If you think about all of the great things done in the world, they're not done by what we would call geniuses in the sense of IQ. It's just people who understand things really good, and they took their time to become an expert in it. You know, you don't have to be a genius to be a Gordon Ramsay. You just have to understand flavor and take your time and to really develop what palates want and what we desire as humans to eat, and you just become good at it. You know, a lot of these guys, they drop out of college. Mark Zuckerberg, but he understood social media. He, you know, some people may say, you know, give them an IQ test, they still might score high. And that's true. But I'm just telling you, look at a lot of movers and shakers in your life. They're not necessarily high in IQ. Take Oprah Winfrey, an expert at relationships and building community. You know, they don't, they don't have like college degrees. She doesn't have like all of this expertise that made it uh, possible to do what she did. She grew in her gift. She wanted to understand women and to give them something to enjoy during the day. I could be here all day giving you examples of people who understand things and are good at it. And the Bible is saying, it's up to you if you want to understand the kingdom. It's up to you if you want to learn it and become good at it. Because if you don't want to learn it and become good at it, and you fold your arms and say, God, prove it, and you do all of the work, God says, no, that's a hard heart. And that seed's just going to bounce right off your heart, and the devil's going to come and take it away. He goes on to the next one. Let's go in verse 20. He says, the seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. How many know people that once they got saved, they were so happy? But then a little bit later, they're not happy anymore. Come on. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. Somebody say a backslider. 
Thank you. It says when trouble or persecution comes or a pastor says something they don't like comes, because of the word they quickly fall away. How many have known somebody in this church? They accepted Jesus. They were excited. And then something happened, some trouble, some persecution, and then they just gave up. How many know somebody like that? Come on. How many of you were like that? I was like that. I remember when I first got saved, really saved as a teenager. I was going to the youth group. It was awesome. And it was uh, time to pick high school leaders. And I went to Northrop High School, one of the biggest high schools there. And I really wanted to be the leader to help, you know, do the Bible study there. And it was between me and this one dude. And I just felt this one dude wasn't as good as me at Bible studies. I was better at Bible studies than him. And the youth pastor picked that dude over me. And you know what I did to get back at him? I went out and smoked weed, quit the youth group, and started gambling that night, shooting crafts with my friends. But I sure showed him. Oh, I sure showed him, didn't it? That's so stupid. I look back at that, and I say, oh, God, forgive me. How could I turn my back on you because of what I felt offense towards a person? And even, and even that way, by me going out and gambling, smoking weed that night, kind of proved what he was saying was right. <laughs> I'm so mad at Pastor Joe not thinking I'm a real Christian. I'm going to stop acting like a Christian and show him how much of a Christian I really am. Stupid is as stupid does. You're going to prove it to us how wrong we are by living like the devil. You know what I'm saying? Come on. But that's the world's mindset. There's a bunch of hypocrites in the church, so I stopped living for God. But I still believe in God. I have a cross right here. Aren't you then a hypocrite? That's pretty much the exact definition of a hypocrite. You see, they think they're going to rid the world of hypocrites by being a bigger hypocrite. At least those hypocrites go to church. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You out here wiling out, but you still a Christian, huh? Come on. You see how foolish the world is? You see, the Bible says there's two major things that, don't, uh, that will prevent you from going deep in God. And, and that's, if you're thinking Christianity is going to be an easy life, you'll never go deep with God. You'll be like a seed that goes right in the crack, right in the rocky gravel. It will not go deep because every time something goes wrong, you're blaming God as if he's your genie. And by the way, I saw Aladdin. It's awesome. It was awesome if anybody else saw Aladdin. I saw it with my kids, cried, literally cried. I cried too much now as an adult, by the way. Um, that's part of being a father with six children. I become a very emotional man. And it's awesome. But, but what, is, what is he? You know, the genie. He, he's, he's a, he's a give-you-what-you-want kind of being. That's not God. God is not your genie. God is not here to make all your troubles disappear. As a matter of fact, becoming a Christian in that culture and still today in many cultures adds more trouble to your life. Like you've become a Christian in China, great. Now they're going to fire you. Now they're going to find reasons to take away your property. Like, there, yeah, there you go, awesome job. If you're doing it to win friends and influence people, you're not going to get that in China. As a matter of fact, the parents of the children in China are telling their kids not to become Christians. So a lot of you sometimes come here. I'm not going to name names, but I'll look at you and, like, really stare at you. Some of you come to make your mama happy. You got to come to church and all that. Hey, you got to make your mama happy. Guess what? Making your mama happy in China is not going to church. Worshiping your ancestors, praying to the idols in your house, cooking that meal every morning and putting it before that statue. You ever been to a Chinese restaurant? You ever wonder why there's a plate of food before that statue? 
Come on, you know what I'm talking about. You've seen them there before, a little plate of food. That's how they honor those statues. Christianity is not your get-rich-quick thing. Christianity is not like, let's just get a whole bunch of happy things going on in our life and then tell the world about how happy we are. I truly believe Christians are the happiest people, but it's not because of happenstance and all of these wonderful things always going their way. It's because despite their troubles and their persecution, they're still serving God. And God can prosper you and God can bless you and we should be believing for those things, but we're not trading our Christianity for those things. I was literally thinking to myself on the way over here, what would I do to help Oprah Winfrey become a Christian? One of the things that I would say to Oprah is sell all of your businesses because people are going to expect you to do these certain kinds of things in these businesses, affirm the gay agenda, do all of this. I would tell her, sell all of those and start over again and let people follow you now as a Christian. And see, that would be a big deal for her, wouldn't it? Because she owns, she owns O Magazine. And that would be like her trying to say, oh, you know, I want to keep O Magazine and maybe try to influence them. Well, how are you going to influence people that think everything about their lifestyle is right and every worldly vision? Well, I'm going to change everything about O. Well, let me ask you a question. You're going to fire people that are gay and lesbian now? You're going to fire? How are you going to do that? That's going to be discrimination. I would say sell everything you've done in the world that has promoted your mindset. I'm just telling you what I was daydreaming about. I don't know what you were daydreaming about, but that's what I was thinking about, how I'd win Oprah to the Lord by God's grace and make her a disciple in Jesus' name. That's a good pastor fantasy, amen? That's a pastor fantasy. So there I'm having a pastor fantasy. And I'm thinking that's what I would share with her. You know why? Because the trouble and the persecution she would begin to face would be unheard of. Just think about Justin Bieber and how he gets slammed. Just think about Chris Pratt and some of the things we've talked about here. And you can Google these if you haven't been here for these discussions. The world hates Christians, especially if you have money and you have prominence. They, this one rugby player in Australia simply put up a Bible verse saying that such and such a people will not inherit the kingdom of God. They broke his contract. They want to sue him. I mean, it was crazy. It was if he said, I eat babies for breakfast. That's what the world's come down to. So what I'm asking you is this. Would you be willing to sell everything to follow Jesus? Would you be willing to start over again to follow Jesus? Would you be willing to break some plans to follow Jesus? I hope you are. Look at verse 22. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke the word, making it unfruitful, and Luke adds pleasure. So three weeds can come up in your life and choke it out. That is the worries of life, deceitfulness of wealth, and pleasure. Do you ever see those growing up in your life? Because I actually believe this ground right here can become a Christian's life at any time. And if you think to yourself, the only way you'll ever forsake the message of God's kingdom is just by you doing the other things like pleasures and wealth, you don't understand how powerful worry is to get people to leave Christianity and to stop going hard for God. I've seen people drop out of ministry because they say, well, I'm single, and how's God going to bring me my husband or my spouse? I've seen people stop coming to church because they're saying, how am I going to have my career and do all of this? I've seen people stop giving to the church because they say, how am I going to have money in the bank if I'm giving to the church? They worry, 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 worry. Worry is just as powerful as a weed to choke you out as love of pleasure, love of wealth. Those three things can mess you up. Jesus names them. 
Let's get Rachel to come up for verse 23. But the seed falling on what? Good soil refers to someone. Somebody say, I'm that one. Come on. Refers to someone who hears the word and what? Understands it. This is the one who produces a crop. Yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. What does it mean to bear a crop in the kingdom of God? Well, we could start with something easy. What's another analogy in the Bible of fruit growing in the Christian's life? What do we call that? Fruit of the Spirit. Go quickly with me to Galatians. How many want a hundredfold return of love in your life right now? Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Look at it. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, long-suffering also in another translation, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. That's awesome. You want to bear fruit in the spirit of your character? What else are ways you can bear fruit? Go to John 15. Go to John 15. Jesus loves these analogies of bearing fruit. Look at what John 15 says. John 15, Jesus is teaching us a principle of how to bear fruit. He says, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Keep going. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me, and I also will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. What kind of fruit is that? Go down to verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Now remain in my love. If you love me, you will keep my... Oh, come on. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Woo! Well, I just love Jesus. I just love Jesus. You keep his commands? No, I just love Jesus. I just love Jesus. You're a liar. You don't love him. I love my wife. I love my wife. You cheat on her? Yeah, sometimes. You don't love your wife. I love my kids. I love my kids. I love my kids. Why do you got nicer shoes than your son has on? Oh, because I deserve it. It's quiet like that. Come on. You could say you love somebody all day long. It's meaningless. You got to put action behind what you say. Two different ways we can bear fruit for God, and I could be here all day. Just do a study on it this week. You know, search it online. Being fruitful for God, bearing fruit, producing the fruit of God. Look it up online. You'll see different studies on it. I've actually taught a whole entire series on John. But here's just two examples. God wants you to receive his word as good soil, understand the process of what he's doing in your life, and begin to bear the fruit of the spirit in your character, and he wants you to start obeying his commands. Start there and watch what your life will be like. Because it's up to you and it's up to me whether or not we open our eyes and open up our ears to see and to hear what God is saying and doing. I can't sit back and just go, well, make it happen, God. No. He said, I got to make a choice to understand it, to want to learn it, to apply it. And so look at your heart today as a garden. 
Go and check out your heart. Is your heart hard? Is your heart shallow? Is your heart weedy? Or is your heart fertile and fruitful in the things of God? And if you see things in your heart that don't belong, go back to that word to understand what's going on in here. Don't project it on your church. Don't project it on your Bible study if you don't see fruit. Don't project it on anybody else. Look at yourself in the mirror and say, God, here I am. Change me. Here is my heart, Lord. I give it to you. Make me fruitful in your kingdom. Can I hear somebody say amen? Come on, let's give it up for Jesus as we stand up. We love you, Lord. We get it. Altar workers and band, would you come, please? Let's close out in prayer. Gene and Tisa, would you guys come up? They're going to help me close out. Our missionaries are with us for three weeks. They're going to help me close out this service. Father, we thank you for Father's Day. And I pray that every father will start right now by looking at their heart to determine what kind of heart they have. Fathers, if you're here today and you can hear my voice, would you start right now and look at your heart? Are you the kind of person that God can use to really bless your family and community? If not, get the junk out. If you're too shallow in your relationship with God, too finicky, go deep with him right now. If you got weeds, ask the Lord to pull them up. Maybe you keep making those booty calls to baby mama. Come on. You need to get free from that. Maybe you're working so much that you don't make time for family. Get free from that. Maybe right now you're just thinking, well, I don't get it. This church stuff's not for me. No, make time for it. Jesus made time for you. Fathers, I'm starting with you. Anybody here want a heart in the kingdom that bears good fruit? Good fruit, 160, 30-fold. A few more moments. Let's pray right now. Mothers and everybody else, join with them right now. Anybody's heart needs some weeds picked? need to dig a little bit deeper of a foundation. All of us should be, real, be able to relate to this in some way. Anybody here going through trouble or persecution, and man, it's hard, and you're, 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 you're tempted to blame God, you're tempted to quit on this thing? Come on, ask God to dig some deep roots in you right now. Bible talks in another place. Let your roots be grounded in the love of God, deep in the love of God. A few moments, few moments right now. Lord, make us fruitful. If you're here today and you, you're saying, man, pastor, I, I, I need this word, and I would like somebody to pray with me for this word, whether it's to be saved, whether it's to get stuff out, or just to get somebody to partner with you to be fruitful, no one's going to judge you. As we start to worship, I'm going to ask you to come, and we'll dismiss in just a moment. Because Gene and Tisa are going to come up on the stage with me now. Because after we start praying for those who, who need this word, we're going to start praying for anybody but, and everybody. But I want to start just with this word right now. I want to start just with this word. As they start to sing, if that's you, would you come forward? Gene and Tisa, would you stand up here? Let one of my altar workers pray for her. Go pray for uh, Sorry, go pray for her. I want Gene and Tisa right here up on stage. I want to do something special with them. We got you, sister. Don't worry. We got you. Thank you. Come on, let's worship. Let's let some people receive prayer. And then before we dismiss, we're going to do some specific things. Thank you, Lord. I just want to make-
to make sure anybody else needs to have this word hit deep in your heart right now. You just want to make sure it impacts you, changes you. You're never the same again. It doesn't have to be sin related. It could just be you want a dream for your business, your family. It could be related to the, to the things we talked about that got to get out. But it doesn't matter. Come quickly as we sing it one more time. And then we're going to turn this whole place loose. We want to believe for revival in this place today. Come on.